Hi, this is Lucy Dreyer, and you are listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson welcoming you to TV Confidential. Radio talk show about television that will play part two of a conversation that began last week with award-winning television writer-producer Jay Moriarty. Jay's memoir, Honky in the House, takes you inside the writing room of the Jeffersons while also providing a behind-the-scenes look at Norman Lear Productions in general. Jay also debunks some of the myths that have surrounded the Jeffersons, including the real reason why Mike Evans left the Jeffersons after the first 13 episodes, only to come back again a few years later, as well as why it is a disservice to the character of George Jefferson to consider him an African-American Archie Bunker. We'll talk about this and more when Jay Moriarty joins us in our second hour. We'll be able to stay tuned for that. Our second hour will also include part one of a two-part conversation with Martha Bolton. Martha Bolton, the first and only full-time female staff writer, Bob Hope, ever hired. Martha will share some memories about working with Bob Hope. She'll also tell you about a wonderful new book that not only reveals just how important Bob Hope was to the fighting men and women of World War II and later Korea, Vietnam, and Desert Storm, but in many respects captures the heart of who Bob Hope was as a person. Martha Bolton will join us in our second hour. Please stay tuned for that as well. In the meantime, we'll open up our first hour by welcoming back our friend David Hofstede. David's books on classic television include Obsessed with TV, the Charlie's Angels casebook, and What Were They Thinking? The 100 Dumbest Events in Television History. David is also the publisher of Comfort TV, Comfort TV, an excellent blog about your favorite television shows from the 50s, 60s, and 70s that has received more than 750,000 visitors since he launched it in 2012. David's latest book, When Television Brought Us Together, takes a look at the values embodied by the shows of the Comfort TV era and the extent to which those values still apply in our ever-changing world today. We'll tell you where you can find when television brought us together. And just saying, first, David Hofstede, welcome back to our program. Thank you very much, Ed. It's great to be here. I've always believed that a good TV show, even one that was written strictly to entertain without any overt or subtle meaning behind it, a good TV show can engage us in the same way a good book can engage us or a good novel can engage us. Having read your book and having read your comfort TV blog many, many times, I think it's safe to say that you agree with that assessment. Yeah, I definitely do. I think, obviously, they reflect a lot of the the values of the times in which they were made, and it doesn't have to be in an overt way where the lesson that they're teaching is so obvious and upfront. So a lot of the times those lessons are taught simply by watching the way the characters live their lives, the way they go to work, the way they go to school, and the way those institutions were viewed in that time. So, you know, certainly you can always watch a show just on the surface level. I think Bewitched has always been a good example of that, where you can watch that show and enjoy the eccentric characters from Samantha's family that figured so prominently in every episode. And it could still be a very funny show all these years later. 
and yet at the time even they talked about it being uh, sort of a treatise on racism and how the marriage between Samantha and Darren could be categorized as a mixed marriage in a way that we think of that term then and now probably could not be portrayed on television in the early 60s, uh, a racially mixed marriage in that sense. So there's always some interesting deeper meanings. There's always something below the surface that, if you care to take a little deeper look, uh, comes to the fore. Well, especially the way Agnes Moorhead as in Dora, whenever she said the word mortal, she said it was such dripping sarcasm. You, you could tell she truly believed that her daughter married beneath herself. Yeah, that was, that was an inferior marriage in her <laughs> view. <laughs> but, and yet uh, the love between the couple always shined through and would overcame any of those resentments. So again, you can could, you could watch the show and, and not pay attention to that at all and still have a wonderful time with it. But they were saying something. Uh, a little more than what uh, what was on the surface. Yeah, and, and and even on a more basic level, the fact that even though both Darren Stevens on Bewitched and Tony Nelson on I Dream a Genie, even though they could have anything they wanted simply by asking Samantha or Genie, they chose not to because they saw value in what they did in their daily work life. And even though that was not pointed out in big, bold capital letters, that was sort of at the heart of both of those shows. Yeah, they saw the value in the work that they did. And Tony was an astronaut, and that's something that would be universally admired for that career choice. Uh, Darren went into advertising, and sort of in my regular job, uh, when I'm not writing about television, I'm doing marketing and, and public relations work for a company, and uh, that always is not so highly thought of by a lot of people. You know, what value does that bring to society? But it's honest work, and it's good work, and it helps companies get better at what they do and, and reach a wider audience. and. I think there is value in all of these jobs, and I think that's something that Darren saw. He wanted to live in a house that he could afford to pay for. He wanted to drive a car that he could afford to pay for. And uh, there's a quote from Thomas Paine that I put in the book, what we obtain too cheap we esteem too lightly. So if you get everything that you've ever wanted that quickly, uh, you don't see the value in it as much. And uh, as you said, that was a message that came through but it wasn't hammered over your head in every episode. And sometimes I think the subtler messages are the ones that resonate a lot more than the heavier ones. David Hofstede is on the line with us. David's latest book, When Television Brought Us Together, is an often whimsical but always thought-provoking look at Father Knows Best, Bewitched, I Dream a Genie, The Brady Bunch, The Dick Van Dyke Show, the Andy Griffith Show, and many other favorite shows from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and whether the values reflected by those shows still apply in our ever-changing world today. I think it's safe to say that the basic value of work that was part of the subtext of both Bewitched and I Dream of Genie, I think that still very much applies today. When Television Brought Us Together is available through our friends at Black Pond Press as well as Amazon.com. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. David Hofstede, also the publisher of Comfort TV, excellent blob, excellent blob, excellent blog about many of your. Fa- <laughs> it's been called a blob as well. Over yes, the- yes, that, that, that is the most excellent blog. Excellent blog about the about many of, the, of our favorite TV shows from the Comfort TV era. 
comforttv.blogspot.com, comforttv.blogspot.com. What to you is Comfort TV, David? To me, again, when I started the blog, it was more of a time and place. It was the shows from the 1950s and 60s and 70s that I that I grew up watching and I still enjoy watching today. I think for just about everyone, if you ask them what those safe places were, what those comfort TV uh, sources were, it would probably be the shows that they first discovered in their childhood. Um, I was born in 1964, so I did not come to shows like Father Knows Best and the Donna Reed Show and the Patty Duke Show until many, many years later. I think I was in my early 20s or, or even 30s when I started to see them on Nick at Night and get to know them. But for someone my age who grew up with the 1970s, it was the Brady Bunch and it was the Partridge Family and it was the shows from that particular era. And I think that would be true to just about anyone. The more interesting question to me is, are there still television shows for people who are in their teens and 20s now that they're going to look back on 20 and 30 years later with the same nostalgic fondness that someone in their 50s, as I am, uh, thinks about the shows from their childhood because there's just so much more television now and and the audience is so much more fractured between all the different cable networks and the streaming services and new shows start up every week and then they finish eight episodes later and then they disappear for a year and a half and uh, television just isn't what it used to be in that sense it doesn't occupy that same role in our lives that it used to in the era that the book describes the television screen was the only screen in the household and certainly that's not the case anymore with cell phone screens and computer screens and and other things bringing entertainment and news and information into your home so I wonder if Comfort TV itself will one day be considered a thing of the past. Well, That's an interesting question. That is an interesting question. I was thinking about this yesterday, and it, it relates to what you just said about how one of the things that's lost today in a time shift universe where there are so many platforms and so many shows to choose from, new shows popping up every day is hard to keep track, and so forth and so on, but... I was also born in 64, so uh, not only was that a three-network universe, but if you only had a, if you had a television set that only had VHF antenna, you were limited to whatever channels you could get in your neighborhood or in the city or town that you lived in. So I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. I think we had like two, four, five, seven. We had like five or seven channels to choose from, and that's it. And if the station decided to preempt a network programming that week, that means you lost out on that experience that your friends would have been able to uh, watch if they lived in a different part of town that that wasn't preempted. So the choices were far more limited back then. They were. And if you were home on Saturday night in the 1970s and you were watching the Carol Burnett show, you could probably believe that most other people who were home at that time were watching it too because it was obviously a big ratings winner at the time. It was a very popular show. And if you didn't watch it when it was on, you didn't get a chance uh, the next day or the next week uh, until 
VCRs started to come into the marketplace, um, which was, I believe, late 1970s, where when you first started to see those, and they were very cost prohibitive in those uh, early days as well, and were way, way before the DVR and TiVo and all of that. So if you wanted to see a show, you had to be home to watch it or you missed it, and uh, it may not be on again in the summer. Sometimes they were, sometimes they were not, and that was it. So when everybody was watching these shows together, I mean, counting time zone changes as well, it was a common thread in the culture. I think it brought people together, and I think society's become so much busier now and so much more amped up, and entertainment is is so much bigger, so many more choices, so many more options that we don't have a lot of those common threads that we used to have when we grew up. And television may have been one of the more minor of those, but I think it still played a role back then. Well, even as we got older, um, you, you and I are about the same age. Uh, my first job at a college, I worked at a law office for several years. This is like the, this is the late 80s. So it's, it's the beginning of the cable era, but there are nowhere near as many choices as there are today, and not all households had cable. And you know, the point I'm getting to is there were still certain shows of that era, like L.A. Law, for example, that I remember every Friday morning, the partners would gather, literally gather around either the water cooler or the coffee station, and they would, they would talk about the previous night's episode and the legal issues that were at play. And I understand that 10, 15 years earlier, much the same was going on when Perry Mason was on. You know, they, uh, they, they would talk about certain points of law. And so I, I think the only way you can replicate something like that today, David, let me know what you think about this, is if we had like a binge of the month club where you and a number of your friends, whether they're virtual or, or whether you do this just within your neighborhood, you decide, okay, we're, we're going to pick a show, we're going to binge watch all 40 episodes of it, and then we talk about it. Yeah, I mean, that would certainly work, and I think that's the same concept as, as book clubs, mm-hmm. which have been around for years, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody chooses a book, and all the members read it, and then they talk about it afterwards. I think the difference with television back then and to some extent now though it's though it's a very different medium is that everybody had a television i think most people still have television <laughs> and so uh when there were just the three networks you could pretty much count on a very popular show i mean when there was an episode of happy days when i'd go to school the next day i i didn't have to have uh a specific club or a time and place. I knew all of my friends watched it and talked about what Fonzie did last night. Um, So it was a national uh, sounding board. I mean, you think about the impact that Johnny Carson's monologues had over all of those years uh, when he was the host of The Tonight Show. Uh, That was sort of the, that was the nation's nightlight. That's where people laughed at the politics of the time, something that we don't do with the same innocence uh, now that we used to do back then. Uh, Everything is either one side or the other now, and I think what made Carson so special and the talk show hosts of that time so special is 
when there were Republicans in office, that's where the jokes were. And when there were Democrats in office, that's where the jokes were. And it seems like today um, everybody seems to want to pick a side and talk about, you know, your dopes versus <laughs> <laughs> instead of everybody, uh, all the regular folks being on one side and all the politicians being on the other side and, and laughing at the silliness of the bureaucracies and all the things that happened in Washington over the years. David Hofstede is on the line with us. David's latest book, When Television Brought Us Together, takes a look at the values embodied by the shows of the comfort TV era, the shows that aired in the 50s, 60s, early 1970s, and the extent to which those values still apply in our ever-changing world today. When Television Brought Us Together, available through our friends at Black Pond Press, as well as Amazon.com. David Hofstede, also the publisher of Comfort TV, excellent blog about many of the shows of the Comfort TV era, comforttv.blogspot.com, comforttv.blogspot.com. I thought it would be fun if I pick a couple of the shows that you talk about in the book, and then you pick a couple of the shows that you think best embody the Comfort TV era and many of the topics that you discuss in the books. I was telling you about this before we started recording. I started binge-watching That Girl about two months ago. I had not seen the show since I was a kid. I, re I remember watching it on Thursday nights towards the tail end of its network run, and then Channel 2 up in the Bay Area, they ran it uh, five nights a week for many, many years. But I hadn't seen the show in probably 40 years uh, until I started watching it again recently. And what's interesting is it is often considered a precursor to the Mary Tyler Moore show in terms of portraying the sensibility of a single woman making it on her own in the big city. But you make a very interesting point in that you felt they got the ending wrong. Yeah, and I think it's not just a personal opinion in that case. It's where the show was going as well. For people who aren't as familiar with it, as you said, it gets a lot of comparisons to the Mary Tyler Moore show in that the main character, uh, Anne Marie, is played by Marlo Thomas, was from a small town in upstate New York and moved out on her own into the big city to become an actress. And so she was a single girl uh, trying to make her way in the world. Uh, she had a steady boyfriend for all five seasons that the show was on in Don Hollinger, played by Ted Bessel, who we lost way too early. It's a very sad story mm -hmm. in that case. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the beginning of the show's fifth and final season, Don proposed to Anne, and she eagerly accepted. And through the course of that season, uh, he had a bachelor party, and she had a bridal shower, and everything was sort of pointing toward uh, a wedding. But that wedding never happened on the show. Uh, it just sort of ended with them still engaged. And we'll talk about the reason why Anne-Marie and Don Hollinger never got married when we come back from break. David Hofstede is on the line with us. David's latest book is When Television Brought Us Together. We'll talk some more with David after this quick timeout here on TV Confidential.
Okay, we are running a car drive right now to help veterans all across America. So if you have an old car, truck, or van, even a motorcycle or an RV sitting around, you can right now give it away and help the vets. They really need your help. And your car will help support the vets and their families. And guess what? You even get a tax donation. Plus, we'll even come and pick up your car for free. And all you've got to do is pick up your phone right now and make a free call. Now is the perfect time to do something good for the vets. Give back to the vets right now for all they've done for this country. And your old car can really help them. So call the Veterans Car Donation Program right now for free pickup of your vehicle. Help the vets and help your taxes at the same time. Call right now. 800-890-1032. 800-890-1032. That's 800-890-1032. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.